0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. God bless all of you, especially you fathers today. Honored to have you here and we're going to speak to your life. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up and we'll get rolling here this morning. Once you get a Bible, uh, my main two texts this morning we are going to be in Job 1 and then Luke 15 and I'll be back and forth in both of those, so you may want to mark them right now. It may help you and save you a little time. I just want to speak to hearts today. You know, my job as pastor, he said, feed the sheep. My job isn't to fix the sheep. My job is to feed the sheep. So I'm going to give you a little sheep food today to help us digest and get moving. What I'm going to talk about this morning will pertain to you as fathers, um, women, families, marriage, children. I'm going to hit a lot of aspects today. But I believe the scriptures will teach us some things this morning. We begin in the book of Job chapter 1 is where I'll start at. And then what I'm going to talk about is living from the inside or living from the heart. First uh, Samuel 16 verse 7 it says, Man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. And so you can fool people from the outside but you can't fool God. We begin Job chapter 1 verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and he was upright. The New Living said he was a man of complete integrity and one who feared God and he shunned evil. Now, when it talks about blameless and upright, it doesn't mean that he was totally without sin here. But the pattern of his daily life is he went toward good and not evil. And so the very first things that we see mentioned here, the four characteristics, all have the stuff to do with the things on the inside in my heart. And so in Job's heart right here, when you read this, he was honest. He was a a man of his word. He was devoted and he hated evil. Now, I believe it's great characteristics for every one of us. And so again, part of this today is, is learning to live from the inside out. Verse 2, Job had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. To that this man was the greatest or the richest of all the people on the east. And so when you begin to look at verse 3... It literally references all his possessions, and so it was the things on the outside. Now, when you read the the first three verses there, you begin to see that God not only wants us to to be blessed from the inside, God wants us to be blessed on the outside. God wants every aspect of your life, spirit, soul, and body. That's 1 Thessalonians 523. He wants it to be blessed. And so we begin to see some of this with this man. Now, same chapter, begin with me in verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And the reference of this is found in Genesis 6, verse 2. It's talking about angels right here, okay? And so they came to meet with the Lord. And Satan, the accuser, also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, if you study the Bible, this will uh, transfer or cross-reference into 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, which literally says, Your adversary, your opponent, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So when God says to him, what are you doing? He's literally going back and forth across the earth. He's checking things out. He's on patrol. He's looking for ones he can devour. Keep reading. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, understand this right here. God wasn't selling Job out, okay? Okay. When God has tests and trials that come against us, God doesn't put tests and trials before us to watch us fail. Tests and trials come into our life to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our trust in God. And so let me say this right now. If you're in a great trial or test right now, and you don't have to show your hands because here's the thing I found in life. If you're not in a test and a trial, a great one right now, You will be before long. It's just part of life, okay? But understand this, if you're in one right now, understand, God wants your faith to be strengthened. He wants you to get to a place in your life where you can believe God and you can trust God and you can, and, and be strong in Him. Now, in saying that, think about this as a child and this may relate to you. Uh, when I learned to swim years ago, my swimming lessons is my father would grab us by the trunk and toss us in. How many of you remember those days? And again, my father would say, trust me. Now, think about this. Would any father do that and just watch you go to the bottom? No. They're not going to do that. So in a sense, when my father did that, he's not going to set me up to fail. And it's the same with Father God. And, and I said this in the first service. I remember being about seven years old. And I got a thumb slammed into a door. And it became black and blue. And if you've ever had a thumb or a, a, a toenail that that was there, it begins to throb and it begins to hurt. And you're thinking, I can't even sleep. You lay down and it's like boom, 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 right through your thumb. And my dad said, trust me, I'm going to fix it. And so we went out to the shop, and I'll never forget, he pulled out a black and record drill. And I looked, and I said, what are you going to do with that, Dad? And he said, trust me. And I said, no, we're not trusting you. And he said, no, just trust me. And I remember putting my little thumb up there, and I turned my head, and I heard the drill. And all of a sudden, if you've ever had the pressure released off of a thumb or a nail that had that way, you're like... Dad was a genius. But the place is we've got to get where we trust Father God, even in life when at times it doesn't make sense. And you may hear me say this several times today. We live in a fallen world where good is not always rewarded and bad is not always punished. But God is just. Keep reading. So then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now what I want you to note in verse 8 is when God described Job, when God described Job, the only thing he mentions was his insight. If you'll note there, God didn't say, hey, do you know this guy named Job? He's got 7,000 camels. No, God's more concerned about the inside than the out. Keep reading. So Satan answered to the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? And for nothing there means without reason. For he's implying that Job's good, his deeds here, spring only because God blessed him and God put a hedge around him. Now, that's what he's talking about. Keep reading. Have you not made a hedge or a wall around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions, and you have increased in the land. Now, I believe that's just the goodness of God. Anytime a human being lives for God, God's going to bless him. God blesses the righteous, and his favor surrounds you like a shield. That's Psalm 512. Psalm 512. Now watch what happens here in verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So the devil says to God, he said, you take his possessions, you take all his treasures and I'll bet you, God, he'll curse you to your face. When you take away the good things that he has. Verse 13. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job with news, and he said, the oxen are plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and they took them away, indeed, they've killed their servants with the edge of the sword, and I have lone, alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger brought news also, came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep, the servants and consumed them and I alone have escaped to tell you while he was still speaking another messenger with news also came and said The chaldeans formed three bands Raided the camels and took them away. Yes Kill the servants with the edge of the sword and I have alone escaped to tell you While he was still speaking another messenger brought news also came and said your sons and your daughters were eating drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on that young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's a bad day. I've had bad days before but I don't know I've ever had a day like this. And I bet Job was looking and think, Dear God, I hope no more messengers show up. And so when you look at this right here, you begin to see that everything in his life that, that associates with his possessions, with his treasures, in one day, they're gone, they're wiped out. Now watch what happens here in verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell on his ground and he began to worship. Let me ask you a question right now. Every one of us in this room have experienced tragedy, turmoil, the whirlwinds of life. But when that happened, what was the first thing you did? Did you fall down and start worshiping? See, a lot of the things that it referenced here that Job did, these showed that Job was very emotional in this time. And you know what? Many times as, as dads, as men, we're taught, you don't show emotions. You don't do those things. But it's interesting that in, in Genesis 1, it said God created man in his own image. And so if we're created in God's image, and we have emotions, God has emotions. And I don't believe there's anything wrong in here to show our emotions. But even at this point in his life, He falls and he worships. And look at verse 22. In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. This showed that he was bigger on the inside and the outside. When all this happened, he didn't sin. And he didn't blame God. And many of us in this room right now are in a place in our life where we want to blame God right now. And so I want to talk to you about some things this morning that I believe will speak to our life. Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. And so the inside of Job was, was bigger than the outside. That was what was so important. And, and Job loved God for who God is, not what God gives. And he viewed God as his advocate, not his adversary. And I believe this is the place where every one of us need to come to. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up four major points here today. And every one of these points will have to do with maturity. And I don't care who you are, you fall in one of these categories here today. So we begin in, in Luke 15, verse 11, the story of the prodigal son. Then he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fails me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, this is the first point right here. Give me. Give me. And we all start at this point regardless of who we are. When you look at this, whether biologically or spiritually, this is the starting point. So you think as a child, a baby, when they come into this world, they have the give me mentality. You've got to give me so I can live. That's normal. That's part of it. But also when you think about a child here, a child is really, really selfish. That's all they know. It's all about me. How many of you have been around a young child here lately and they looked at you and said, what would you like to watch on TV? No, if you go into a room with a child, you're going to watch the Cartoon Network probably. How many of you have had a young child here lately say to you, what do you want to do today? That's never happened. I've never experienced that. Again, we're dealing with children. That's all they know. And so even spiritually, when we get born again, this is the stage we start in. And it's okay because when we get born again, we say, Father God, give me salvation. Save me, Father God. Fix me from all my problems. And again, I said, it's okay. That's the starting point. The problem is when we stay there. Now, just think about this, that if you see a a 40-year-old man that's still wearing diapers, that's not real good. So it's not bad to, to start there, but it's wrong to stay there. And so I must begin to grow up. And I believe this, that every marriage starts in this place, right here, where we live with give me, give me, give me, give me. But it's it's rough when you have a 45-year-old spouse that's still saying, give me, give me, take care of me. And it's rough when you have a 40-year-old child that still lives with, give me, give me, give me. So again, this is the first step of maturity right here. The lowest level. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 8. Now hang in there right there in Luke, because I'm going to come back to it. Acts chapter 8, just right there to your right a little bit. And I'll begin in in, um, verse 14 when we get there. Acts 8 verse 14. And this will apply over and over, you'll see today, as a Christian, in marriage, and even with your family. This is the second area, verse number 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word... They sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, now watch this, Give me this power also, that on anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he says, give me. But when you read into that, he's literally saying, use me. Use me. Now, understand this with him. he He's a new believer. He hadn't been born again. This is Simon the magician. But really, when he says, give me so this will use me, he's saying this, that I, I want to do something great for you, Father God. But I want to make me look good. I want it to make me look significant. And so was his heart wrong? Not totally. I believe to agree here. He may want it to bless people, but he also wanted it to be all about him. And so many times we say this, Father God, I want to do something for you, God, but I want to be noticed. Now, this is the second area. How does this apply to Marriage. But when we get into a marriage covenant, what happens is we have this this thought, my spouse is supposed to make me happy. And when they don't make us happy, and understand this, the only one that can make me happy my whole life is God. So when they don't make me happy, we have this thought, I'm going to do something in life that will make me happy. Now, the use me stage right here is usually what happens in marriage in the first 10 years. And that's where the most divorces take place, right there, on the 10-year area. You know why? People are saying, they don't make me happy anymore. I'm going to give you some brilliant insight today. God didn't create marriage to make you happy. And pastor, it's working. So why did God create marriage? Now get this. To kill you. And it's working. It's working rather good. What do I mean by kill? I'm not literally saying to put you to death physically. But what I am saying is God wants you to learn to die to yourself. Where there comes a place in your life where you prefer another person above yourself. And if marriage doesn't get you, then he'll let you have kids. And they'll get you. I don't mean that ugly, okay? But if you've been married for a period of time, you realize you die to self. I've been married 35 years, and Jesus keeps killing me in marriage. Which it's a good thing. And so when we begin to look at this right here, happiness occurs when a person learns to lay down their life or others. How do we know that? Even the Lord Jesus did the same thing. He said. I'll lay down my life for him. Go back to the book of Luke. Chapter 15. Now what we say a lot of times. As you're going back there. Is we say. Bless me Father God. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. So that I'll look good. But the mature person says this. Bless me Father God. So that you look good. So that you look good. And in my own life, it's one of the greatest testimonies that I can have. I can get around people who saw me grow up. And they'll say, what happened? And all I can say, Jesus came into my life. Everything was Jesus. And this is the great one to me. This blesses me so much for the kingdom of God right here. They'll say, we never thought you would stay married more than a year. It's God. It's God. And so this is the place we all get to where we say, Lord, bless me, Father, so that you'll look good. So now we go to the third one. Luke 15, verse 13. So not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all that he rose, a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want or need... Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled the stomach with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now, listen real close to me right here. This guy, the prodigal son, he's a young Hebrew boy, okay? His life goes to the bottom of the barrel. It is spun out of control. It's of no good Because we understand that when he went to work for this guy, this guy was a Gentile. This guy didn't know God. And so for a Jew to work for a Gentile, that was a bad thing. But even on top of that, for a Jew to be around a pig, that's no good. You don't get around pigs as a Jew, okay? That's why you don't see pigs eating baby back pork ribs. Gentiles do that. I do that, so. So this shows you right here how low he went. And a lot of times in life, this is where we get to. We get to a low, low spot in our life and it gets so bad. Now look what happens here in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? And so when you see this, when he came to himself, it literally means... He searched within himself. He began to look in his heart. I found the same wording in the book of Jonah, chapter two, verse seven. Jonah is in the belly of the whale and his life is at a bad place and he cries out to God. So in this one right here, you see the third area that he's talking about is search me. The thing we get to with search me here is the way I begin to search myself is I quit blaming other people for my problems and my circumstances. As long as I always blame other people for my problems and my circumstances, it is literally a maturity buster. And it will keep you from progressing maturely. Right here. If I always blame I want you to think something right now in your own life. Just think here. When difficulty comes, who do I start blaming? And it's very easy to get into that trap. I said in the first service, I'd be in the NFL if it wasn't for that coach. Not. I would be doing this job or that job if it wasn't for that teacher. See again, it's very, very easy to get caught up in the blame game. But when I begin to search myself, I realize most of the time in my life, I'm a problem of my, uh, the problems are because of my choices. So we go back and we look at the prodigal son. It was his choice to leave. It was his choice to take his possessions. So again, he begins to search in himself. Now, how does this apply to marriage? Keep your place right there and go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, this will give us a great, great insight of what I'm talking about here. Search me, Father God. Search me. Genesis 3 verse 9. Now, this is after Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit, okay? They've already sinned. Then the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? Where are you? Now, here's a thought for you through this. This is God. God knew where he was. Why does God ask him that? Because God wants to give him an opportunity to repent, to take ownership, to search his own heart. So we'll keep reading. He said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, right there, he's saying, have you done it? And he's giving him an opportunity to repent, to confess, to say, I did it, I did it, I did it. But look what he does in verse 12. Then the man said, the woman. This is the first time in humanity that blame takes place. This was the first time in the marriage covenant that blame takes place. And Adam says, it's that woman. It's that woman. You know, I was doing pretty good in life just hanging around with the monkeys. Kangaroos, the elephants. That woman. That woman. Now watch, keep reading here with me. That you gave me to be with. She gave me of the tree and I ate. Now think about what he does here. The two things that he does. Instead of searching me and saying, I blew it, Father God, he blames woman. And then he said, it's the woman that you gave me. It's your fault, Father God. And so again, you see right here that if I don't blame another person, oftentimes we come back and we blame God. And some of you in the room right now, you blame God. But the problem in this situation wasn't God. God didn't hold a gun to Adam's hand and say, eat that. Adam chose to do that. And now, instead of owning up and taking responsibility for his actions and searching his own heart, he said it's easier to blame God. Now watch what the woman does. Verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, it's the devil made me do it. So what do we have here? We have two people that they will not take responsibility for their actions. They don't come to a place where they say, search me, Father God. Now, if you've had cycles in your life where you blame people, you play the blame game over and over. How do I break the cycle? Go to Psalm 139. I want you to see this. This is what King David said. The 139th Psalm and I'm going to read verses, verses 23 and 24 and, and, and just watch this right here, how powerful this is. This was King David's prayer and he said, search me, O God. Search me, O God. The Amplified says thoroughly, search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine my heart, investigate my heart. One translation says cross-reference My heart. So again, he's saying, search the inside of me, Father God. And know my anxieties, know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked or offense way in me. And lead me or guide me in the way everlasting. What a prayer. Search my heart, oh, Father God. I don't want to keep living this way. Now, go with me back all the way to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke 15. And, and when we talk about searching our hearts, a lot of times the reasons we don't have the things that God started happening in our lives, because number one, pride. A person that's prideful is unteachable. And then we live with some things called in, insecurities and we don't want to step up to the plate and say lord I got insecurities. Pastor you got insecure I got insecurities guys. But a person that's insecure he's unreachable. One's unteachable, the other's unreachable. Because they'll never search their hearts where they say father god I need your help in this. Now understand again as you're turning there this is how I got to learn to live my life. The only person I'm responsible for is me, my actions and my reactions. I'm, I'm not responsible for what rich does. I'm only responsible for what I do. And so that eliminates the blame game. And when I begin to live this way, this is how I become bigger on the inside than the outside. This becomes a maturity process. Now we go to the last one. Luke 15, verse 18. This is the prodigal son again. And he said, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This is a maturity locator right here. Now think just what he did. It's totally opposite than what Adam and Eve did. Remember, they said, it's my wife. It's you, Father God. It's the devil. We're right here. This guy takes full responsibility for his actions and his behaviors. And he said, I've sinned. I've blown it. I've done this and I've done that. And something happens with humility comes upon us and we repent. And we take full ownership of my choices. I'm not blaming anybody else, Lord. I did it. And this is what he's saying, now. Watch verse 18 because this is the last one. Verse 19. And I am no longer worthy to be called your sons. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, he says some things in there that are interesting. First, he says, Make me. That's a sign of maturity. Lord, make me. I, I surrender to you. Make me. You're the potter, I'm the clay. You're the creator, I'm the creation. And he said, I'm no longer to be called one of your sons. But understand this, in this room right here, when you give your heart to Jesus, you're a son and you're a daughter. But right here, his prayer is, make me into a great servant for the kingdom of God. Make me into a great servant in my marriage. Make me to a great servant with my children. And this is the place where every one of us need to come to where I say, Lord, make me. You make me, Father God, into a great servant. And when we begin to see the word servant here, a lot of times we don't want to get into that because in in Matthew 20, verse 26, the Lord Jesus said, the greatest among you is the servant. Now think about those words. Because in Matthew 20, 26, he said, the greatest is the servant. And just two verses down, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So the ultimate position of maturity in every one of us is to become a servant. To help other people in any way we can. Now, back to Job chapter 1, all the way back to where we started from. And as you're turning there, use me, Lord, so that you can be seen. Not that I can be seen. Lord, you use me. I'm going to give you a definition of character. And you may want to write this Write this down, okay? John Maxwell, who writes incredible books on leadership, John Maxwell said this about character. Character is closing the gap between knowing and doing. Let me say that one more time. Character is closing the gap between actually knowing and doing. See, many times we know what to do, we just don't do it. So we go all the way back to Job chapter 1. Verse 2, now what we're going to do right here is I'm going to check your math abilities, okay? We'll see how well you did in math. Verse 2, and he had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Seven plus three is, thank you. Verse 3, also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of ox, 500 female donkeys, And a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of the riches of all the people of the east. Now, look at those numbers. Think about those numbers just a second. Then turn with me to the last chapter. It's chapter 42. We go all the way to the end. So what I'm doing right here is we remember this is the, the starting point of his life. We see what takes place here. Now we're at the end of his life. Watch what happens. Verse 12. This is what God wants to do with every one of us. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. You know what God did with him? He doubled him, He doubled him in blessings. The man who lived blamelessly. The man who shunned evil. Verse 13. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He's got ten. No, he's got twenty. And you may say, no, pastor, he's just got ten. The other ten died. You've got to understand this with people. People live forever. He didn't lose them all. Think about this. When God blesses you with children, he'll bless you with children here on earth, and he'll bless you with children that'll spend eternity with you. God blessed him. Same chapter, verse 15. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. Now, when I see the word beautiful, you know, a lot of times we think immediately physically. They were a 10, they were a knockout, they were the fox, whatever you want to describe them. But I personally believe this, that a father will influence his home. A father will influence his children. His children will actually mimic what the father does. And so we know about this guy named Job, that he was a man that was blameless. He had complete integrity. He shunned evil. I believe these same characteristics were in his daughters. That they were just as pretty on the inside as they were on the outside. Now watch what he does here. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And you said, what's the big deal with that? That didn't happen in Jewish custom. The sons were the ones that got the inheritance, not the daughters. But here, right here, this guy is so blessed. And his children, even his daughters, are so awesome that he says, I'm including you in the wheel. Sounds like God, doesn't it? Verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years and he saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. So Job died an old man full of days. You know, every one of us in this room are going to die. Not if, but when. But not every one of us in this room are going to live full of days. Only when I come to the place of Lord, make me into a great servant. Make me to be a blessing, Lord. Help me to get over these places in my life. And so when I read all these passages here, Job learned what it meant to persevere. He learned what it meant to stay on course. And again, some of you right now in this room, you're in incredible battles. Hang on to the things of God. Trust God, even when life is a whirlwind. So Lord, make me bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Make me into a great servant. Let me say this to you today. Your reputation is who people think you are. Your character is who your wife and your kids and the people you do life with know you are. And the Bible's very clear you'll be known by your fruit. How would your spouse rate your fruit today? How would your children rate your fruit? How would people that you've done life with rate your fruit? And so here this morning, you may be right now in the give me, you may be in the use me, you may be in the search me, but every one of us need to get to the place where we say, Make me Father God. Make me to a great servant. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.